0: Good. Well, good morning. Man, good morning. I, feel like, I feel like we've already experienced the presence of God this morning. Just mm-hmm. getting to lift high cool. thank you guys for that. It's awesome. Um, so as we get started today, I um, just want to kind of take just, just a couple minutes and, and just kind of rewind to last week. Um, last week, uh, we had what we call our background Setting uh, message. And so we, we talked about the background of, of uh, Elijah, of 1 Kings. We talked about who this prophet was. Um, I would highly, highly encourage you, if you weren't here last week, if you weren't able to join us last week, um, that you would uh, go back and listen to that message. Um, Ross covered so much of that stuff in detail as far as the history and the background uh, that we just don't have time to cover today. Um, so again, just a reminder, all of our messages are either up on our website at bedrockfc.com or if you listen to your podcast, um, we're also on there, Bedrock Church, Franklin County. Um, I would highly encourage you, though, to go back and to listen to last week's message um, to talk about that. But just to kind of give you the little, the little sparks note uh, version for this week just to kind of catch you up. Um, you know, one of the main things that, that we covered last week is that uh, 1 Kings uh, is, is written by, we believe, Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, and what's significant about that is that because it was written by Jeremiah, um, and because Jeremiah was a prophet, it's written with a different purpose. It's not just a historical account of, of, the, of the lives of what happened in Israel. Um, but what, what, uh, what Jeremiah is trying to accomplish in his writing of this is to get a picture across. It's to, it's to get a message to God's people and those that would read that. Um, and, and so uh, as you read through the book of 1 Kings and really the first 16 chapters, um, you, it, uh, it, we paint this picture of, of what it looked like at that point for the nation of Israel. And if you remember... Right, they started out um, with with the first king Saul, right? Who was, was a pretty good king for a while, then kind of messed things up at the end, and then and then we can't come to King David, right? And King David is kind of the pinnacle, right? As 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 under under David, uh, Israel unites as a as a kingdom, right? All the twelve tribes unite as a kingdom, and then things are even even good in the life of his son Solomon, and then after Solomon, we talked about how how things start to go awry. And, and after Solomon, the nation splits, right? The northern kingdom, uh, which maintains the name Israel, and the southern kingdom, right, which, which takes the name Judah. Uh, we said that, in general, the southern kingdom is more faithful to God. Um, the northern kingdom, uh, over and over again, get further and further away from God. And, and so the picture that, that is painted in First Kings is a picture of, uh, I like to look at it as a downward spiral, and so as, as, as you look at each one of these kings, it's like they get worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and Jeremiah, in his account of this, he says things like, and, and this king was worse or did more evil than the kings before him. And this king did worse than the kings before him. And so by the time we get to Genesis, or uh, Genesis, well, wow. uh, 1 Kings 17, uh, we get to a king named Ahab. Um, and, and Ahab as we find out, again, did worse than all the kings that were before him. He was more evil than the kings that were before him. And the big thing about Ahab and his wife Jezebel, right, the the most hideous, awful thing that they did, again, Elijah, uh, um, Jeremiah doesn't paint the picture that it was necessarily from a national standpoint that he was a bad king. In fact, the king, uh, kingdom of Israel actually prospered and there was great things that happened uh, from maybe a, a kingdom standpoint. But the worst thing that King Ahab and Jezebel did was that they instituted what was called Baal worship, or maybe you, you've heard it Baal worship. Um, Baal, we said last week, was this, was this uh, god that the other nations worship. It's the god of weather. Uh, and fertility, and there were some, some just hideous acts that were done in the name of worshiping this God. And so, so what Jeremiah wants us to get is the, is the fact that God's chosen people, right? I mean, we've got to understand this. God's people that he chose out of the midst of all the nations and said, I'm going to make you my chosen people, my special people, right? Now those people are, are worshiping this other God. And that's the big point. That's the big point that that Elijah is making is that this is what's so bad about King Ahab is that he's drawing God's people, he's drawing their heart away from God to worship this other god. And so when we pick up in in 1 Kings 17, right, God sends a messenger, a prophet named Elijah, right? And remember that we said last week that a prophet, right, is really just a spokesman for God. Someone that's going to deliver a message from God to his people, to the king, um, and so that's who Elijah becomes. And so last week, uh, we began looking at verse 1 of 1 Kings 17. Um, we, we got about half of that verse in. We said, um, we get introduced to this guy named Elijah the Tishbite from Tish and Gilead, right? And, and that's all the information we get about Elijah, right? That's all we get about him. We don't get what his calling was. We don't get any introduction to why he's a prophet. We just get very simply, hey, there was this guy named Elijah, the Tishbite from Tish, right? And, and we said last week that this place Tish that he is said to be from, no one knows where it is. Um, no one knows where it's at. Uh, we know a little bit about Gilead. We said that it was kind of this rocky mountainous region, kind of backwoods, middle of nowhere. Um, so we said the statement last week. That Elijah really was this kind of no one from the middle of nowhere, right? That was kind of our our, our understanding, and, and we said that the reason that God probably um, has us understand very little about Elijah is that what he does has little to do with who he is, and has everything to do with who God is, right? And and we when we talked about and we started to discuss this idea that that a lot of times God will use weak vessels to do incredible things so that all the glory gets pointed back to God. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Elijah. Elijah is a, is a no one from nowhere, and all of a sudden he just busts onto the scene. The other big detail we covered last week that's, that's crucial that we understand is we said that our bedrock principle, that, that kind of statement we're going to come back to every single week, as we look at the life of Elijah, is this. We said, uh, in the peaks and the valleys of life. So as we chart through and look at Elijah's life, it's going to look like a bunch of peaks and a bunch of valleys. A bunch of really good times and a bunch of really bad times. But in the midst of that, we're going to see that God is still God. Whether I'm going through a mountaintop experience or whether I'm in a valley, God is still God. And, and this week, uh, the more I thought about that phrase, the more I thought about what does it mean for God to still be God, um, I think the question that, that comes to our mind when we think about that is, do we trust Him? A little bit of, of what Letitia was sharing uh, this morning. Do, do we trust that He's good? Do we truly trust in His goodness? Do we truly trust Him? Right? And what we're going to see today is that when, when life doesn't go the way I expect it to, do I still trust that God is still God? So we're gonna see happen early on in the life of, of this prophet, or in the early on in the account of the prophet. Is that when when life doesn't go the way he expects it to, when when Elijah's life takes a takes a turn out of nowhere, what's Elijah gonna do? How's he gonna respond? Is he gonna still trust God in the midst of all of that? And I think it's a question that, that we all wrestle with. Like deep that's one of those like deep down internal questions, right? You know, I think a lot of times when we're on the mountaintop and everything's going great, it's really easy to make a statement like, yeah, God is still God. Right? He's still good. He's good. Look look what I have. He's good. But then when we come off that mountaintop and we are in the midst of the lowest part of that valley, and we look around, we really get confronted with that question of, do I still trust that, that he's good in the midst of all this? Would his goodness allow this to happen in my life? Do I still trust him? I still understand and I still love him. One of the things that, that came out of our discussion uh, this past weekend in, in our life group about this um, was the fact that I think one of the reasons that we struggle so much to, to <clears throat> trust God is because I think we, we struggle to understand a God who is unchanging and eternal, mm. right? Mm. We, we struggle with that because our perspective, everything we see in our life is ever-changing and it's finite. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says this, talking about God. It said, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I think we struggle with that because from our perspective, we're so used to living in a world when somebody gives their word that we really have to question, can I really trust that? Right, Even some of the people that are closest to us because they've let us down. And so for us to comprehend a God who doesn't change, when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. right? And even if it doesn't look like from my perspective, if it doesn't look like it's working out that way, I can still trust that he's going to do it because it's God's word and because God says it and God is not changing. Right? And so I think we, we struggle to understand God and we struggle uh, with trusting him because we really struggle to understand Someone who doesn't change, because everything in our world changes, right? probably heard the phrase before, the only constant is change, right? It's so true in our lives. It's like things are always changing. Even people we think we can trust sometimes, they they still let us down. But not only does God not change his mind, but he's also eternal, right? No beginning, no end. He always has been, and that's, again, hard for us to grasp. As the psalm writer says in, in Psalm 90, He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, everything that we know and experience in this life has an expiration date on it. Whether it's the food that we eat, or whether it's all the way to the point of our own lives, we all have an expiration date, right? We're finite. And so to to look at a God who says that he is not finite, that he has no beginning and no end, In our humanity, we struggle to understand that concept. We struggle practically to understand that, to understand that this God who is from the beginning and continues past the end, right, that this God knows better and can see more than we can from our perspective. We We struggle to understand that. See, we say things like this from our perspective. We say, if things don't turn out the way I want them to, then I can't trust God can't be good, right? Because I have a plan that I think of how my life should turn out. I have a way that I think my life should go. And if that doesn't happen, then then God's really not good. I can't trust him. He's not still God. Or I say, if things don't turn out the way I expect them to, I can't trust God. And that's exactly where we're going to find ourselves in the story of Elijah today, is that what I believe his expectation was And what God actually called him to do were two different sides of the playing field. So we're going to get a picture, and I think we're going to be confronted with this idea again, this question of when things don't turn out the way I expect them to, do I still trust God is still God? So read with me. Uh, I'm just going to read. Uh, Today I want us to just kind of walk through verse by verse. We're just going to kind of go through section by section, talk about it, and then move on. Uh, So 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Let's read the first part of the story. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tish in Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab's the king, right? He says, as the Lord of God, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word, right? Okay, so we get this picture that that this guy from, from this nobody from nowhere is just burst onto the scene, right? And he just, like, we get the picture that it's just this crazy... We said last week, uh, one commentator said he probably looks like a hillbilly, right? It's this wild hair and just this mountain man, right? So imagine just this rough exterior guy, crazy hair guy, just comes running off the hills, right, and into the palace. And he goes right before the king and he puts his finger in his face. And he says, you know what? Because of what you've done, Ahab, it's not going to rain on the earth until I say that it will right really not me but i'm speaking for god here and it's not going to rain until i give the word from god that it'll rain again right i mean picture that season picture that what that must have uh, been think about the courage that must have taken for elijah to go do that right i mean for for us today it would be like us going up to the white house right and just running down the lawn busting through the white house busting into the Oval Office and say, you know what, President Trump? Until this nation turns back to God, it's not going to rain again. All right? Now, how many of you guys have been to D.C. before? Okay, a lot of you guys. Uh, you guys know if you're, if you're in D.C. and you're standing outside of the White House, right, there's this big, giant fence, right? Big, tall, black, uh, metal, iron rod fence, right? Now, I don't know if I'm just weird, probably am i don't know that if i need to see a psychologist i probably do right but 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 for me a lot of times when i'm standing outside there there's something inside of me that says you know what just stick your foot in there and see what happens like i don't there's just something in me that just wants to 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 just take that step over and just see what happens like see if what in the movies is really true right like i just have this yearning to do that however i know what would happen right the second that i put a a foot on that lawn right it's going to be game over Right, And at the very best, I'm going to spend the majority of the rest of my life in prison, Right, away from my family and the people I care about. And no doubt that was exactly, if not worse, what was on the line for Elijah. But yet we see this picture of incredible courage and epic faith to trust God. And he busts into the palace and he says, you know what? It's not going to rain. Notice what else he says, though. Or even do. Right? I mean, think about that, what he's claiming. He's like, there is going to be no water whatsoever, rain or dew, right? One of the interesting facts that we dive into with this is that this was a direct confrontation to the god, the false god that they were worshiping, Baal, right? Because in in their religion, Baal was the god of weather, right? And so he was the one who was in charge of whether it rained or whether it didn't, which is why they did some of the extreme things that they did to worship him. Because in that culture, in that time, the weather determined the crops that happened, the water water supply that you had, right? And so this is a direct confrontation to this false god. It reminds me a lot of the picture in in Exodus uh, when God sends the plagues to Egypt, right? And each one of those plagues was a direct confrontation to a different god that the Egyptians would worship. And so Elijah busts on the scene, right? He's brought out from obscurity and set front and center stage upon the stage of history, as one commentator says, right? This guy who is, who is in the middle of nowhere, from nowhere, now right up in the palace, right in the middle of everything, right? And no doubt that people would, would, would hear about what happened. Did you hear when that, that crazy mountain man came and told the king? Did you hear about that, Right? And I don't know if the text doesn't say, I don't know if Elijah thought this or, or it's just something that, I'm, that I would think about that. But in my mind, if, if God had allowed Elijah to, to do something so big and so bold and, and such a platform as to be front and center to the king, the most powerful man in the nation at that time, I would just expect that God would allow Elijah to stay in that prominent place. Right, like in my mind, the way that this would, would, whole thing would play out was that Elijah would just kind of stand his ground, stay right there in the palace, and just stare the king down every day. Right, every day as the king wakes up, he just looks up and says, "Should you see that? Do you see any do?" Right, and he would just do that day after day after day after day. Right, my expectation is that that God would have kept Elijah in this prominent place where he would have had a great influence on the people. But what we're going to see is that this unchanging, eternal God responds differently than we might expect. Probably differently than Elijah expected, right? I mean, Elijah probably thought, man, if God has told me and moved me in such a way to bring me off of this mountain and to come run right up into the palace, he is going to do something incredible, right? He's going to do something incredible. And yet we see that God responds differently than we probably all expect him to do. Um, And really, I think what we're going to see is that Elijah, even his name is going to be put to the test. Remember last week we talked about Elijah's name, what it meant? We said that Elijah's name literally means, my God is the Lord. And that namesake, right? We talked about in our life group that back in that culture that you were named, your name was given to you to speak something about you right? And so that name was really going to get put to the test here. Elijah was really going to be confronted with, can I trust this God? Do I trust him, right? When his plan isn't the plan that I expected it to be, can I still trust him? Because see, what God's going to do is, God is going to put Elijah through a training program, and Elijah's going to train, God's going to train Elijah for this mission that he is going to have him on. One commentator said it this way, he said, before fire would fall from heaven Elijah needed to be trained and, and I think we, we all probably whether we've been aware of it or not have probably been in that season like if you're a follower of God follower of Jesus God puts us through seasons of life that trains us and sometimes that training is not comfortable and it is not how we prefer it and it's not what we necessarily want it to be but we go through that right because God is shaping us and molding us for the mission so one of the questions we need to ask ourselves early on is, how do we respond when God responds differently than we expect? How do we respond in that moment when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we thought he would, or God brings a circumstance or situation in our life different than we expect it to be? Now, I want to say up front that I feel like my life is nothing at all like Elijah. I don't feel like I'm a prophet called to, to speak in the way that Elijah did. Um, however, I do feel like that God has brought our family and, and brought our family through a season of life um, where I felt like God really was asking us, do you trust me? Um, and so I want to kind of just share a little bit of my story and in my life of what I've experienced in, in something that was, was similar, at least from my reference point, to what Elijah was going through. Uh, a lot of you guys know, uh, probably most of you guys know, uh, we lived in Atlanta for about three years. Um, that's where Nicole and I met. Um, and let me just be honest. Like, life in Atlanta was great. Uh, we, it was it was really awesome to live in a big city. Um, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Rocky Mountain is not a big city. No. Yeah. I know. Now, if you live in, in some of the other... Outskirts, maybe it seems like a big city, but, but it's not, right? And so we really enjoyed, though, that, that big city life. We enjoyed, we enjoyed being able to go to concerts and, and, and just like world class restaurants and, and all of these luxuries, right? We also enjoyed that uh, Nicole had a really, really awesome job, uh, financially uh, awesome job. And so because of that, I didn't have to. Uh, I just needed to bring a little bit home, which was okay. Um, and so we had a really, really comfortable lifestyle um, when we were there. And, and it was great, and it was wonderful. Um, and so we got married, and then about six months later, we felt God calling us to, to leave, to move back here. And I think I've shared with you guys before, I knew that it was God calling us because Nicole was the first one to say, I think God is telling us we need to move. Um, and I say that because uh, her, our first... Nicole's first experience coming here um, was, was less than memorable, uh, was less than appealing to her. Now, now, I take on the ownership for most of that. Um, our first stop, her first experience to, to this part of, of Virginia, Franklin County, was Walmart. Um, I realized that was probably a bad choice on my <laughs> side, right? Um, but we decided on the way in to stop at Walmart. We had some, um, we'll just put it as some hilarious interactions with some locals at Walmart. Um, and Nicole's like, this is where you want us to raise our kids, and this, like, this is what you want. And so she just kind of laughed about it. And so I knew when she said, "I feel like God's calling us to, to leave and to move back there," um, that this was a this was a God moment. And and so we did, and we moved up here, we moved up here to uh, with the vision of, of helping start a church that was starting in the area. Um, I was gonna be helping out with uh, with some of the family ministry stuff, and we were really really excited. And, and so we, we literally kind of left everything there, sold, moved up here, moved in with my mom um, until we found a place here, left the, the career, the job, all that stuff behind to move in with my mom for a part-time job. Um, but yet we knew that God was in it, so it was kind of one of those things like, okay, like we're, we're going to trust God. Um, and then things changed. We were here for about 10 months, and and this this uh, position at this church that i had come moved up here to be a part of all of a sudden ended one day uh we had been on vacation we came back the pastor called me into his office um and i thought we were just catching up because i had been out of town he's like i feel like god's told me that uh he doesn't want you here anymore he has something else for you To which I said, that's weird. I don't feel like God told me the same thing. It's so strange. So one of us is wrong. Um, And I feel like we had really built some traction in that ministry. Um, And I have to say, like, overall picture, I can see now God was using that to continue to move me in the journey, right? But in that moment, I was just like, what in the world is happening? Like, I didn't understand it, right? And so here we are in Virginia living with my mom. Um, My job that I moved up here for now was gone. Nicole hadn't been able to find a job, so we were in a new place for her, but we were here. The reason we thought God was calling us here was gone. Financially, our money was gone. Did you have any kids yet? And so, yeah, great question. So we'd find out a month or so beforehand we were pregnant with our first kid, which those of you that have had your first child know is that that's always the scariest because you don't know what to expect. Um, When you have a second child, it's like, you can't complain because you knew what to expect, right? <laughs> uh, but with the first one, we were just—we had no idea. It was this whole scary new adventure. So here we are, and we were like, "God, what in the world are you doing? Why did you? Why did we leave all of that that we had there to come up here for nothing?" Right? Have you ever been there? Let me ask you: You guys ever had an experience like that? Like, like when, when you thought God was moving the trajectory of your life in a certain way? And all of a sudden, it felt like the, the carpet got pulled out from underneath you like it looked different now. <laughs> Don't worry, it's coming. No, it's <laughs> right? It. It's yeah, more than exactly. Like. <laughs> um, so here's what I want us to do. Right? This is a great time for us to pause for a minute, circle up. I know that this is a huge question, and I know there's no way that in the couple of minutes I give you that you're going to be able to um, fully share all of that. That's, again, what life groups are great for as I continue to shamelessly plug for them. Um, take a couple minutes, though. Circle up with some people around you and just talk about that for a minute. Have you ever had those expectations that were not met the way you expected? Maybe it wasn't something as grand as that. Maybe it was just like, man, I was going to the donut shop, and I was gonna, my mind was set on a chocolate donut, and they didn't have any, and I had to eat a strawberry donut. Like, okay, that's an expectation, too, okay? So, so we've all been there, all right? Let's just take a couple minutes, discuss that together, and then we're going to come back and, and see... What this crazy thing is that God is calling Elijah to do? Guys, we're gonna we're gonna try to circle back up. I know that was a really deep, big question to try to tackle in those few minutes. Um, but I want us to I want us to kind of get into what what this unexpected uh, this unexpected thing that. Elijah experiences God's response to to this moment of incredible faith. And and one of the points we're going to realize today is that sometimes God leads us to the unexpected, right? Sometimes God is going to lead us in unexpected ways. And for Elijah, that unexpected way was isolation, right? He led him to isolation. Um, Read with me uh, verses 2 and 3 now. And the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah. And here's what God said. He said, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, or Kareth, which is in the east of the Jordan. Right? Now, if you hadn't read this, who in the world would have thought God would have said, go and run away? Right? Elijah, this powerful man that, that was going to do incredible things for God, first, first real word instruction we get from God is, go and run away and hide. What in the world, right? And I think that, that, that Elijah probably had that same idea. He says, go, and I want you to go by this little brook, to this place that that you're going to go. Depart to this little brook by somewhere east of the Jordan. Go back to obscurity. You're the man from, you're the no one from nowhere. I had you on the spotlight for just a blip and now you're going back to nowhere. You're going to go back to obscurity. See, I wonder in our lives if God may be calling us to leave situations to follow him. God may be calling us to leave certain comforts or places that we are in to follow Him. Maybe God's even calling us to leave popularity or certain relationships sometimes in order to follow Him. You know, as I, as I looked at this call that God gave to Elijah, it reminded me a lot of Moses. There's a lot of correlations in these two men. Mm-hmm. Right? Because remember there was that period in Moses' life, right? Um, he was kind of brought up in prominence, right? Raised up in Pharaoh's household. Was going to be a mover and shaker in the world, right? Then he kills an Egyptian, and what does he do? He runs away and hides for 40 years, takes care of sheep, right? It's also interesting that when Moses fleed from Egypt, he also fleed to the east. Love that little correlation tie in there, right? You see, sometimes sometimes God will lead us to isolation, but we have to realize that we're never really truly alone, right? And that's what Elijah is going to see, is that even though he might be away from the spotlight and the limelight of the palace, God hadn't forgotten about him, right? So one of the questions we, we need to ask is, is it possible that the lonely valley that we're experiencing right now, some of us are probably there, or we've at least been there before in our life, right? Is it possible that that lonely valley, is God teaching us to trust him? Is it God teaching us to run to and depend on him? Is it God building our faith for the mission that he is about to ask us to complete? Right? So the first, first thing that, I, that that Elijah does is, is he goes and he, and he runs to the middle of nowhere, obscurity. Right? I remember uh, in our life, again, kind of jumping back into that story, that was a lot of where we were at in that moment, right? No job, kid on the way, all the the big plans that we thought that God was going to do, not there. And we wrestled with that question, right? Is God still in this? Does God still love us? What we need to realize is that God doesn't leave him alone, right? He doesn't leave Elijah alone. He doesn't leave us alone. Let's continue reading verse 4. God says, You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is to the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him food and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. What a peculiar, weird little story, right? <laughs> In the world is going on here, right? Go to nowhere, drink out the creek, right? And then the crow's gonna drop food at you. Like that's how we would say it in Franklin County, right? <laughs> Go to the creek, right? And, and then look out to the sky, and the bird, the crow's gonna stop by and drop some leftovers for you to eat there, right? That's the picture. This is the way that God chose to provide for Elijah. This is how God chose to show Elijah, you know what? Yes, you might be in obscurity, but you're not alone. I'm still with you, right? What was Elijah's two basic needs? Water and food, right? We get a picture here of God providing those. First, the water, right? God says, go and drink the water of pruning. The water of pruning, what are you talking about, Russell? <laughs> so, so this word cherith or careth, um, or I can't even do it. My throat's dry. Caroth. <laughs> Uh, maybe how, how they would pronounce it in, in Hebrew, right? It literally means to cut off or to prune, to cut off or to prune. That's what this, this, the, the name of this, of this brook was for. And it was to show us the picture that God had some cutting still to do in Elijah's life, some pruning still to do. You know, as soon as I read that, as soon as I learned that little tidbit about this brook, immediately I thought about John 15. I thought about this picture of Jesus with his disciples, Right? And this is we're probably all super familiar with this passage. But look what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. What? Yes, even the ones that are bearing fruit, he prunes. Why? That, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So pruning is is not a fun thing, is it? Uh, Especially when you're the one getting pruned. You guys been there? Ever had the Lord prune you before, cut some things away in your life? Right? None of us would probably stand up here and be like, praise you, Lord, for pruning in my life. Right? We're grateful on the back end of what it does in our life, but in the moment, it's not fun. I love what one guy said. He says, the older the vine gets sometimes, the more pruning it needs. Right? Think about that. Some of us... I think that's on a spiritual yeah, sure. level, Carol. Sure. Right? Think about it. Think about it this way, though. Some of us—I'm going to join myself in this. Some of us that have been following Jesus a long time—it's really yeah. easy for us to kind of get hard and stale in our walk with Jesus, Absolutely. right? It's really easy sometimes for us to to get set in our ways and just to kind of walk through the motions and, and, and do the church thing. And every once in a while in our life, God comes through with those with those pruners cut some things off in our life right so that we can bear fruit again right how sad a picture is it when a church just stops caring about the world around them and just turns inward and only cares for themselves so the lord needs to come in and do some pruning how sad it is for a believer when we just turn inwardly and only think about our lives and not think about the world that jesus has called us to live in and be a part of right sometimes he uses uh, he does some pruning Right so so what, is, what does he use to prune us? And I never I never got this out of this verse until I was studying for this. Um, but right here in John 15, we find out uh, that word, when it says, "You are already clean," that that word "clean" right there can also be translated pruned." You are already pruned because of the word, the word that I've spoken to you, right? The word of God is, is what does the pruning in our lives. Right? You guys ever been there? Like like you kind of get to a real dry season or a real stagnant season in life and you're reading something in the word and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. Right? And like uh, I've heard testimony uh from, from a friend that was telling me, man, they were just reading one day, and all of a sudden they just found themselves weeping for no reason because the well it wasn't for no reason, it was because the word of God was pruning them, it's hitting them. And I think if we get to the place where we read the Word of God and we continue to have that in our life, it's going to be that pruning in our life. And if it's not pruning us and we're not being moved to that, we really need to look internally at where our heart's at. It's the Word of God. See, the Word of God was also Elijah's pruner, his trainer. Uh, let's look back at our passage real quickly. I've, I've just highlighted a few places that he talks about this. Um, so, so we get the story about Elijah, he goes there and the Word of the Lord came to Elijah. It was the word. It was God's Word that 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 told Elijah to depart and to go eastward, right? And so he went and did it according to the word of God. Right? The word of God should be that pruning part of our life. And so if you want to be used by God, you must be in the Word of God. Right? I think that's a I think that's helpful for us to understand. I think that's important for us to understand. And yet in the midst of Elijah every day going to this brook, no doubt he knew in his mind that this brook was called pruning. And as he's sitting there and as he's drinking that water, God's doing things in his heart. He's answering that question, do you trust me? God's answering that by providing him water day after day, right? So he goes and he drinks the water of pruning, and then he goes and he eats the food of humility. The food of humility. Let me tell you where I'm going with this. see these ravens that at that it says that that brought him food, these were considered unclean animals, right? And as a holy Jewish man, it would have absolutely disgusted Elijah even to touch an unclean animal, especially a raven, um, right? These ravens, these are scavengers, right? So I'm not going to, like, paint it out completely clear, but it just says that it provided meat for him. All right. So if you can tie the pictures together, what kind of meat that maybe a scavenger would provide? Doesn't sound too kosher to me, right? Uh, think about what. Think about a crow, right? Where do you see crows and vultures? Roadkill. There you go. Mmm. <laughs> possum burger for breakfast. Um, again, I don't know. The text doesn't say. It just says it provided that. But for Elijah, this had to be a completely humbling moment to eat this. One commentator says it this way. He said, Elijah had to put away his traditional ideas of clean and unclean or he would die of starvation. Through this, God taught Elijah to emphasize the spirit of the law before the letter of the law. I think in our lives, sometimes God humbles us. Humbles us by the way he provides for us to tear away at that hard heart that we have. You know? Um... Because ultimately the picture that God wants Elijah to see is that yes, you may be in obscurity, but I'm still there for you. And even though it wasn't his preference, God was still providing for Elijah. Reminds me of Philippians four nineteen, where Paul writes these words. He says, And my God, my God will supply everything, every need of yours according to his riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that we can hold on, that God is going to provide our needs. Now, notice what it does. It doesn't say wants, and it doesn't say preferences, but God provides for our needs, right? And we know that our greatest need is for a Savior, and that's what he's provided for us in Christ Jesus. But he also provides for our other needs that we have. Sometimes we realize that God's provisions are not our preferences. I think this is sometimes where we have to look and say, man, as I'm looking at this is, this, is this a need or is it a comfort? Is it a want, right? I think sometimes we get those things mixed up. I think the picture here uh, is, is very beautiful, that, that God sent these ravens to provide a food for him in the morning and in the evening, right? It reminds me of that picture of that daily bread. And for Elijah, I think what this was, was this was a daily reminder. First thing in the morning, man, God, can I trust you? or you, Have you forgotten about me? Nope, there's the food. There's the brook. Right? Last thing at night before I go to bed. God, have you forgotten about me? I'm still out here in the middle of nowhere. What are you doing? There's the meat. There's the water. It's that continued reminder that yes, even though he may be in the middle of nowhere, he may be isolated, right? God hadn't forgotten about him and he wasn't alone. I think sometimes we have to acknowledge the ways that God provides for us in our life as well. Sometimes we lose sight because it's not the way we want to be provided for or maybe what we have set up in our minds. Um, you guys are going to completely judge me for this, and it's completely okay. Uh, we were watching this ridiculous show last night called Selling L.A. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those things where they go in different parts of the world and they sell these houses and the realtors and stuff. Um, but there was a guy on there, and he was talking about it. He went to this house, this beautiful like, $2.3 million house, and he's like, but I need at least this size house and I need a pool that's at least this big. And I looked at Nicole and I said, I don't think he understands that word need very well. Right. And I think sometimes that's true in our lives. It it is in my life. God, I need this. I need this to feel good about myself. I need this in order to be, to feel successful. I need this. And sometimes God is looking at like, I'm sending that daily bread to you and you're not even acknowledging the way that I'm providing for you. You know, that season in our life when, when we were really struggling and asking those questions, the most amazing thing happened is that God continued to provide for us. Um, it was incredible. Like, incredible. So, like, we would just get random checks that showed up in the mail for stupid stuff that we didn't even, like, expect. And we were just like, what in the world is this, right? Um, but it wasn't all that. It wasn't all just, like, money dropped from, from heaven, right? Um, Nicole, like, went out and cleaned houses, and she went and babysit kids. And this was still that season of life where God was working on her, so she still didn't even really like kids at this point. Uh, but it provided means. So I'm sorry if she babysat your babysat your kids for a while. She really didn't like them, but she, she took care of them. Um, right? But it provided a means. Um, and yet, in the midst of some of those, I remember there was a there was one situation where the person she was cleaning their house needed someone to come do landscaping. And so Nicole's like, well, I got a husband who's looking for something to do so i went out and for like eight hours one day i don't know four i'm probably exaggerating probably like six hours right i went landscape right and i got the joy of getting poison ivy for the next four weeks that i got to have from that experience right but god still provided for us there was a season where i went and shoveled a driveway for somebody right and i couldn't like move my back for a week after that but god provided for us right but I also remember during that season that there was uh, some periods of, of drinking that or eating that food of humility um, because of our situation financially, we had to get some assistance, some financial assistance. Um, and so I remember there was a season that we were on uh, food stamps, and we went to. I remember the first time we went to the grocery store. Never forget this. We went to Food Line in Rocky Mount, uh, and I remember going to the grocery store, checking out. And I remember I was so embarrassed because of because of that, and I carried that that shame um, in that because it was really my pride, right, in that moment of saying like I I, I, I can't do this on my own. I need, to, I need help from somebody else. So I remember doing that. Uh, and, and I remember when we were when we were doing that, and, and I think that was, I'm trying to remember at what point, but we went there, and something messed up with our order, right? So everything, they're, like, on the radio, and they're like, hey, these people up here need help with their food stamps, you know? And so, like, everybody's looking, <laughs> and I'm just like, and I remember that moment, I, and I told Nicole, I remember in that moment, like, I just wanted to, like, sink in my clothes. Or I just wanted to run out and just leave the, like, forget the food, like, I'll go, like, steal from somebody's garden or something. Like, we'll figure something out. Like, I was so, and it, it, but it was God allowing me to eat that food of humility, and killing that pride, pruning that away in my life, and seeing that, you know what? In the midst of that, God's still taking care of us and he's still got us, right? And I think the same is true in, in each of our lives. We feel like we're in isolation, but yet we're, we're still never left alone. God is always there with us. Um, so instead of getting into groups, just, just because I've talked more than I should today, um, and, and timing, let me just ask you guys, like, throw that out together. Has anybody ever been, like, just to, we'll be like one big group. Have you guys ever been in that situation where you felt like God has left you alone? Has yeah. there ever been there? What was the, what, what did that feel like? in That moment, like, what, were your, what was going through your mind as, as you felt like, Man, is God Fear. really out there? Fear, yeah, Just a real emptiness, emptiness, yeah, that yeah. sense of unworthiness. Like I, okay, I'm, yeah, yeah, I really am not worthy. I'm not okay, I'm not worthy of, of God or His love or yeah. any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine that probably for most of us that have been through that season, because you're still here and and you're still trusting God, that that God's also probably taught us an incredible amount of things through that as well, right? Um, And even though we don't like that, we don't like that pruning, we don't like those hard seasons, I think sometimes in our life, those are the ones that grow us the most, right? Those are the ones that answer that question in my life, is God still God, right? I might hit rock bottom for a minute and, and really question that, but at least in my life, I've always come out on the other end, being more confident in who God is and, and what he's called me to do. Um, and, and hopefully that's the same for you. And so sometimes God some kind of, sometimes God leads us in unexpected ways, right? And so for Elijah, it was isolation, but then it got worse. It moved from isolation to, a, to what I'm calling a dry season. Let's continue to look at the text. Look at verse 7. Sort of last verse today, and after a while, the brook that he was drinking from it dried up because there was no rain in the land. Hmm. Think about that for a second, right? What was the reason that the brook dried up? No water. Why was there no water? Because Elijah prophesied that there was going to be no water. So literally the. The instrument through which Elijah used to get to the heart of the king was also the instrument that took away his water, his life supply, right? And think about that. Because of Elijah's proclamation, his water source was drying up too. See, what Elijah realized is that he doesn't get a free pass on this drought thing. And I think what we need to be reminded of is as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that doesn't mean that we get a free pass on our lives being easy, Simple in the way we want them to go too. Let me just say, that's it's not a popular message in Christianity. That's not going to get us millions of dollars and thousands of people coming in, right? It's a lot easier to preach the message that says, if you just follow God and are faithful and give, that he's going to bless you and your life's going to turn out great and you're going to have more than you even know what to do with, right? That's not what we see in Scripture, though, right? Some of the people that were used the most by God ended up losing everything for God in order to gain everything with God one day, right? And I think that's just a sobering reminder that that cost to follow Jesus, to pick up my cross daily and to follow my Savior, it's a call to die. Die to ourselves, but it also could be a call literally to lose our life, right? I mean, think about the trajectory of Jesus' 12 followers, right? From From an earthly standpoint, from a longevity standpoint, didn't turn out too well for them, did it? They all, except for maybe one of them, ended up dying because of their faith. And yet somehow I think we we think a lot of times, well, if I just follow God, ultimately if I follow Him hard enough and do enough, then He's going to ultimately make sure that nothing bad ever happens in my life. And that's not the promise that we get, friends, family. That's not the picture that we get in Scripture. There are blessings, like we talked about, that comes from that. There are spiritual blessings, and there are blessings that happen to our life. But there's never the promise that just because we're following Jesus doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hard things in life. And we know that because our ultimate example showed us that. Jesus, as our Savior, endured the cross, right? Think about that. The Son of God had to die in order to give us the greatest gift that we could have. He still had to suffer. So, why, as followers of his, would we expect anything less? The writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2 says this. This is looking to Jesus, the founder, right? The founder, the one that we should be looking at, uh, the, the, the establisher, the one that started our faith, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look what he did. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In order to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus had to walk through the shame and despise of the cross. But notice what it says. It doesn't say that he endured it begrudgingly or hatefully, but it says for the joy that was set before him. Right? Jesus knew he had a mission and a purpose, and yet he walked in that mission with joy. And I just wonder like, how different our lives would look like When God sends us a dry season and things, we're not, we're in the valley, right? But we're walking. I'm not talking about putting on your happy face or putting on your church face, but I'm talking about genuine joy. It's not dependent on our circumstances. But I just wonder how different our world would look at us and look at the church if when we walked through those valleys and those moments, that they saw the joy that was set before us. Because we're not looking to our own lives, but we're looking to Christ who endured it before us. God wanted to teach Elijah not just to trust his gifts, but to trust him, right? Uh, F.B. Meyer, one of the commentators uh, that I was reading this week, said this. He said, ah, he said, it's hard to sit beside a drying brook, much harder than to face the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Think about that, right? After the scene, in a few pages, He's going to face off against these, these false prophets, right? It's going to be this big showdown, this big moment, right? But what this commentator says is that probably wasn't the biggest obstacle in his life. It's probably that, that brook that he had come to, to, to depend on, right? Some commentators say that he was, he was in this wilderness for maybe 18 months or so, as he was there providing for that to dry up one day, right? For God to use something that God had told him that ultimately took away this supply of water could have been the hardest thing in Elijah's life sometimes God is leading us to dry seasons and as we're going to see in Elijah's life that dry season was to move him on to the next step God was going to take this drying up brook in order to move him on to the next step in the journey that God would have for Elijah in his life and sometimes that's how it is for us right one guy said this, God led Elijah one step at a time He did not tell him to go to Cherith until he had first delivered the message to Ahab. He did not tell him to go to Zarephath until the brook dried up at Cherith. God led Elijah by faith one step at a time, and Elijah followed in faith. See, sometimes God uses these hard things to grow us and to teach us. Saw that in my life. Kind of getting back to our story real quickly. You know, God continued to provide for us. And one of the ways he provided was he actually provided a job, a full-time job for me to work. Um, and you know what? The job wasn't in ministry, full-time ministry. Um, the first one I joked with, uh, with Josh a couple weeks ago, we were grabbing lunch and I was telling him, the first job was a construction job. I had no idea, <laughs> guys, Joe, some of you guys, what it's like to lace up the work boots every day, put on the hat, the hard hat, and go into the battlefield. There every single day, right? I did it for a month. I'll be honest. I went out after a month. After they had me up on a twenty-five foot ladder for a day, I was like, "I've got to find something else." Lord, this is not my calling, um, right? Um, and but but man, so much in that month. And then after that, uh, I worked for about a year and a half doing mental health support, diving into some of the the lowest places in people's lives that are struggling the most in life. And it gave me this beautiful, beautiful picture of of the world and how Jesus sees people and to actually sit down like you've never had that experience of sitting down on somebody's couch and not and like really wondering like is something going to crawl on you is something like unsafe there like it just it helps you to look at people in a different way it helps you not to just kind of judge and stuff but you walk into people's lives and you get to know these people and you get to hear their struggles and then after that for about three years working with individuals with disabilities at Goodwill and so for this five-year period, God had taught me so much about people. And I, and I realize now looking back at that, that that was all part of God's plan to get me to this moment. To call me to, to, to be a part of planting this church and building family and, and why that idea of family and church is so important. Because I got to see what it's like when we just look at people as, as just an object and not just part of our family as Jesus looks at them. And, and God just taught me so many incredible things about life and people. As I look back on that, I'm just I'm so grateful for that season. And, and my encouragement to, to us this morning, the encouragement to you, is, is that in the midst of all of those, right, in the midst of all of those, to be reminded that God is still God, right? He still loves you. And you're not alone. God's moving you, right? If you're following him, he's moving you on to that next step in your journey with him may feel like sometimes you know you're hitting your head against the wall and it's like God do I how many times do I have to do the same thing over and over again before you're gonna do something big, right? Before I get back to the palace in that in that limelight and that that prevalent place. God is saying, just trust me. I'm still God. Keep following me. Keep trusting me. So that's my encouragement today as we as we conclude our time today together today. Um, is that we we would be people that don't just say, yeah, I believe in God. But in the peaks and the valleys, we are people who know that God is still God.